Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. Well, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. I think this is going to be really awesome. Cool. I like, uh, I think it'll be good to have a bit of conversation around the tour that you went on um, with Dr. Kiefer and kind of get your reactions um, to the different sure. things you saw along the, I don't like calling it a waste tour because that sounds kind of weird, but I guess that's what it was. Just to get started then, why don't you introduce yourself so people besides me know who you are? Sure. So my name is Dylan Moon. I work on a few different projects with Dr. Chris Kiefer, who is a Canadian nuclear advocate. I work on the Decouple podcast, which brings on expert guests to talk about all things decoupling, uh, referring to trying to separate environmental impacts from human well-being. The other group I work for is Canadians for Nuclear Energy, which is a grassroots nonprofit advocacy group that basically advocates for nuclear in Canada, mainly Ontario, because that's where most of the nuclear stuff is happening. And we just recently launched a report to extend the life controversial topic, to say the least, one that the nuclear industry itself is not totally on board with, but we're trying to uh, shift public perception there. So that's what I've been working on recently. Awesome. And yeah, the, the audio cut out there for a second, but it was um, a report to extend the life of the Pickering Generating Station, just for anyone who's not familiar with that. Pickering is slated to close, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh C4E is trying really hard to get that decision changed. Indeed. So recently, kind of why I brought you on here, you and Dr. Kiefer and Jesse Freeston were on um, yep. the byproduct tour. And you toured the NWMO borehole facility, their Learn More Center, the OPG waste storage facility. I'm probably going to miss things in there too. But yeah, so I was just hoping you could kind of tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you, kind of uh, what you learned, what you took away, what kind of questions you had or concerns at the end of it, things like that. And we'll just have a chat about it. Sure. Yeah, so I had uh, not toured any nuclear facilities in Ontario yet until this road trip that I went on with Dr. Kiefer and Jesse Freeston, who is the videographer for Decouple. And uh Oh, where do I start? My impression was very positive. The safety culture is not, it's the stuff of legend, truly. I mean, I've gone to, I've toured a few nuclear facilities in the United States. I've always asked the question, like, how sincere is the, is the belief in what you're doing to ensure maximum safety for all this, taking every single precaution? And I've never received the answer that they thought it was overkill or unnecessary, even as, you know, decades and decades go by without incidents at these sites. And, and that was definitely consistent with uh, my impression touring the Western Waste Management Facility at the Bruce Power site, as well as touring NWMO's facilities at Oakville and in South Bruce. The safety culture is something that I, I think unless you're in the industry, it seems to be just kind of a buzzword that people think is thrown around there. But yeah. It was funny, even just the other day, my sister-in-law was asking, was saying something about how her situational awareness isn't that great. And I'm like, oh, well, like top notch for me because it's drilled in my head to be aware of what's going on around me every moment of every day. 
Um, and it's, it's just it's just funny that people outside of the industry don't actually understand what safety culture really even means, and they definitely mm-hmm. don't have a full grasp of how seriously <laughs> the industry and those in the industry take safety. Yeah, it's it's hard to comprehend before you see it. Like you wouldn't really believe the the depth of the culture. This wasn't at NWMO. It was at at BWXT. Okay. They, I, I was having a chuckle at this big sign that said foreign material exclusion is everybody's responsibility. Yep. And it was like really upbeat and like this big pink sign. I just thought it was really amusing. Yeah. We, we have the same things at Bruce Power. You know, FME is a huge deal, especially when we're looking at the reactor and reactor systems, you know, getting something not expected in those systems can be horrific. We call it FME, foreign material exclusion is a huge thing. Everyone's trained in it. Yeah, it's a it's a mm-hmm. huge deal. Yeah, but I I guess the the second impression I had was going going into the tours, I was not of the belief that uh, nuclear waste or used fuel or by- byproduct was like a serious issue because we knew how to handle it, and that was that was confirmed even more. I mean, the Nuclear Sustainability Services tour, uh, which OPG they run that, but it's at Bruce was just so eye-opening seeing how they treat the low-level intermediate and high-level waste learning that low-level waste is some is like just gloves and stuff and masks that they've tossed into trash bins and we were in in the facility where you have all the bins of it and uh this is stuff that is counted in the waste stream of nuclear and we were holding up our our dosimeters to it and 60 percent of all the bins in that building we're not registering any radiation at all. And yet they have to go through the expensive process of incinerating it, scrubbing that, um, which itself is expensive, requires more energy when truly this stuff is like, you could throw it in the landfill. That's not to say you should throw the higher level waste in the landfill, but it was just amazing to see how, how much OPG was adhering to the regulations uh, exceeding them, like outperforming them in every circumstance. Yeah, but the, the most impactful definitely was seeing the how the high-level waste is managed. Yeah, it's, it's funny when you're talking about the low-level like gloves and things, we're taught to be very mindful of what we take where in the station. So mm-hmm. like if we had to do a job, did you, did you guys tour the station too? Did you go in? Yeah. Yeah, so started, like there's the zone one zone two and zone three right and as the zones get up you're more likely to encounter radiation it doesn't mean you will yeah. you're just more likely to so like if you're doing a job in zone three you really try to plan ahead and try to take everything out of the packaging if you're in zone one and you try to bring yeah. as little as you need to into zone three because no matter what you throw out in zone three it's going to low level waste and it's yeah <laughs> it doesn't matter if you carry a piece of cardboard across you know we carry a box across the boundary and then we take the thing out of the box and the box never touches anything you know that yeah. box is fine but it has to go in so it like it's just it's mind-blowing how much it can actually add up if people aren't cognizant of what they're doing yeah um and yeah no, the but, high I mean, level waste is incredible amazing. to see the huge casks and how they're like so clean and white and they're all numbered and mm-hmm. they're all laid out oh, yeah. in their exact spot on the floor and yeah, and hearing about just the 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 process of developing the perfect paint to make it look pretty and everything. Yeah. 
and how they repaint yeah, no. them like that's part of their job is like if the paint starts to chip they repaint it to make sure it still looks good yeah we i don't know if we were supposed to but we like touched them like we just we i mean we were allowed to i think we just leaned up against it took a photo we're standing right next to it we've got the the dosimeters everything and we're not getting any substantial radiation at all like we would have to stand there for like nonstop to basically get anything that would even be close to like an x-ray or something. Yeah. And I was just so struck by, I guess, being able to stand a foot away from it and not, it not posing any danger to me standing next to this cast. That's like 20 inches of like high density concrete with half inch steel plates on both sides. That's welded shut the weld itself weighing 70 pounds. Right. And, and, nothing is getting in or out of this container. You're standing right next to it and it's not dangerous. The farther back you go, you go outside the fence, you leave the site. That's just more and more and more like protection you have from this source. Like you can go right up to it and it's not dangerous. How is it going to hurt us if you're across town or, or any of these? I think like when it's out of sight and you're not standing right there, it's easy to imagine. Well, it's like all these time scales that it's still radioactive is like, incredible how could we manage all these possibilities you forget that just like if it were to go into water for example like 20 feet of water is enough to shield you from all the radiation once it like pretty much after it comes straight out of the reactor let alone after the decades after it's been sitting in these in these pretty much indestructible casks it was just amazing to me sorry i'm a bit rambly oh gosh it's totally fine i love rambling and the funny thing to me is and I guess as a nuclear worker, it, it kind of becomes, I don't want to say second nature, but you kind of get used to, you know, walking around and in our everyday job, we might encounter radiation today. It just kind of becomes a thing that, you know, mm-hmm. you're used to. And I think a lot of people don't understand how much of that is in their daily lives already and how much radiation yeah. they're exposed to every day. If they fly across the world or if they, you know, live in a house like mine, we have a radon detector in here because there are days that I cannot get in to work at the nuclear station because there's too much radon in my house and the monitors won't let me in. And it's like, we're worried about the nuclear station, but like I can't get into the nuclear station because my home is too radioactive. Like it's, and it just kind of was on your clothes. Yeah. Like it's kind of like a weird thing. People don't necessarily think about and waste is portrayed as this big, scary thing, which, Mm-hmm. I think if we're not managing it properly, it could be, you know, if people weren't yeah. making the effort to maintain the packages and maintain the facility, you know, and actually, you know, do the in- inspections that are required by the CNSC and the IAEA, if those things weren't happening, mm-hmm. it could pose a threat, but those things are happening, which I think is where mm-hmm. the DGR conversation comes yeah. in because it really sheds light on what if those things weren't happening, you know, and that's, That's the Mm -hmm. idea of the passive storage underground is that we don't need those things to happen because that 600 meters of rock will protect us. Yeah. Not including all of the extra barriers. Not, not including the steel and copper coated and bentonite clay barriers that NWMO has spent a decade or two engineering. um, You also toured the demonstration facility, right? In Oakville. Yep. Yep. What did what did you think about that? I haven't had the privilege of going there yet. Um, we're going oh. in September, which will be super cool. Oh, but awesome. uh, yeah. like, what did you think about that? It'll be cool. Yeah. So we rolled up. We had a canoe strapped to our car. 
uh, on this road trip, we felt very out of place and we weren't sure we were in the right place because it's a very nondescript warehouse uh, with a different sign out front. Um, we didn't see that. There was an NWMO sign, but we didn't see it at first. So we're kind of just waiting there in the parking lot. And then one of the workers that we recognized from a, the Canadian Nuclear Association conference came out and we're like, okay, we're good. Oh, this um, is the right place. <laughs> yeah, this is the right place. We walk in and it's literally just a, just a warehouse. We walk in, there's a bags of bentonite clay. I didn't know it was bentonite clay when you first walked in. Everywhere. <laughs> Lots of open space on the floor. And then uh, there was a demonstration dry storage container. Um, a screen for presentations and then some like trinkets like they had one of the they had this wasn't a trinket but one of the actual life-size capsules that they put the fuel bundles in oh cool. uh, that, and then they also had a bunch of these little sort of experiments like a piece of copper floating in this uh little glass thing that was filled with argon or something uh to just show that after so many, so many years exposed to water, copper still doesn't corrode. It had been in there for like 10 years. Um, you could feel the bentonite. They had bags of bentonite clay. You could feel how it reacted with water and expanded uh, in size when it came in contact with water so that it would basically seal up, uh, automatically seal in the case of contact with water. Yeah, they, basically every aspect of this deep geological storage, the engineered barriers were, were there. That, so you could see they had a replica fuel bundle and just everything you would need to like hands-on get a sense for how this is going to look underground that we walked over to a an adjacent warehouse just like a two-minute walk away and it contained the mock-up for the the underground tunnel that they'll be burying this in that they'll be burying the waste in they had the the big machine that will fill in the gaps between the capsules and the wall of the right. cave with bentonite clay and then vibrate to agitate it to get out any to make it settle um then they they also had the bentonite clay sort of caskets like uh oh, like the box that they set the... yeah the box that would fully enclose the steel and copper capsule right uh and and yeah so everything was there obviously not at the scale needed to store all of the waste but you could see the whole process kind of materially put together and it really you got a sense for how safe this stuff was going to be we also sat through a presentation where we heard just the most <laughs> i don't want to say like ridiculous things about how they model the the potential ways that the waste could come in contact with the environment but i remember hearing they modeled a meteor impact large enough to disrupt the dgr and it would sooner wipe out human life on Earth before impacting the the DGR. Yeah. So just, um, you know, it's I think it was incredible. maybe Roy Payne. I might have the wrong guess that I had on, um, but someone had talked about earthquakes and you know like what magnitude of earthquake would it take to disrupt the DGR here in South Bruce specifically? And they're saying like our rock here is so stable that if an earthquake happened that was strong enough to wreck the dgr we're talking like end of life on earth and like we wouldn't be worried about like it would have to be some cataclysmic yeah. event and it's like okay so like we're, we're not going to worry about the nuclear waste then right because we're all going to be dead like it's it's yeah, not right? going to be a thing it's on top the, of our minds yeah the appraisal of the relative risks is is pretty odd to me 
and we can talk about this more, but like, I almost wonder if it's, if it's like not a, not the best move to model these sorts of extreme, extreme circumstances. Like you we're much more likely to have a mass die off from bioterrorism or some other pandemic or, or just like crossing the street and getting hit by a car and like, like so many risks in our daily life. But when we hear that under like these extreme circumstances, the DGR could fail or something, even if it's like one in 10 billion odds. When we interpret that, we don't actually do it rationally. Like we don't understand how unlikely that is. So if you communicate the failure circ- the failure conditions for the DGR, in my mind and a lot of people's minds, you just hear, oh, well, that can't happen. And you're scared of it again. Mm-hmm. It like it, it as far as communications go, I'm not sure exactly what the point is. Yeah, but. and I find it's really hard to distinguish possibilities from plausibilities. You yeah. know, like yes, this is possible. It is possible we will have a a massive earthquake someday that could disrupt something. Is it plausible? No. You know, and what is the yeah. possibility? What's the actual probability of it happening? Very mm-hmm. very little. You know, and it's funny, I went yeah. to Alberta just the week before I met with you and Dr. Kiefer and Jesse. And it was funny because I was on the plane and I was thinking about like, yeah, you know, like there are people who are scared to fly because they're scared of the plane crashing. I'm like, but they'll mm-hmm. get in their car and drive around. And it's yeah. way more likely that you will be harmed in a car accident or killed in a car accident than in an mm-hmm. airplane. And I think I, I think it's because, you know, an airplane accident is almost guaranteed to be really bad <laughs> whereas yeah you know a car accident maybe not um mm-hmm. and i feel like that's kind of where people go with the dgr you know like if this failed it would be yeah. could be awful this yeah. people always say it would be awful it, it wouldn't necessarily like they say that as if it's a definitive mm-hmm. um that's true but well, yeah it's like it's built it, yeah it's one of those things it's where it's built like into the modeling like a failure any failure at all is regarded as catastrophic because you set it up as like a binary, it fails or it doesn't fail, you know? Yes, it's I mean, very much a, we have a compromise or we don't. It's one of those things where like, I think Dr. Kiefer talked about this in one in his podcast too, where, you know, in, I think it was Finland, might've been Sweden, I can't remember which country, but they did the study of like worst case failure. And if you lived on top of the DGR and ate all your food from there and drank all your water from there and spent all your time there, you'd get a dose of eating two bananas. You know, and I made the joke with my cohorts that willing to listen, like maybe we should go door to door campaigning and like just take people bananas and be like, hey, we're giving out bananas. Do you want these bananas? (laughs) And if they take the bananas, say you're clearly not worried. Like you took the bananas. That's about what you would get. You know, that that Um, is funny. I do think there's like there's an aspect of people feeling like they elect to get in a car. They elect to get in a plane and they know like it's higher risk, but they might feel like they're not consenting, like they're not willf- knowingly taking a risk. They just feel like something could happen to them if the if the DGR is nearby, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. I as far as communications go, I mean, I was, I think one of the most like puzzling aspects of NWMO to me when I visited was the citing process and uh, the the communications aspect. I guess my general impressions are it's unlike anything, any citing process I've seen before. It does its very best to respect local best consent practices and the local will. 
I wouldn't say almost to a fault because I mean, obviously it's important to get that sort of consent, but it, it just feels like there's no real motivation to ever build this project. And the communications are, are very like, are you, are you sure you want this? Like, you don't have to take it. You don't, you don't need the project. Like, are you sure we're going to ask you again? We're going to keep checking in, like, make sure you want this every step of the way. And just knowing how low of a risk it would actually pose, how it keeps the farmland intact, basically, like it just is going to create a lot of economic opportunity in the region. There's so much lost in communication that it almost feels like dangling a bag of money in front of somebody and being like, Are, I, I'm not going to tell you exactly what's in it, but like you can take it or you can't, you know, it's like you're, I, I'm not, I'm not like a historian of Ontario's like, citing processes for other projects but it's like as soon as a project that has objectively so many upsides with so little risk comes along now is when we're giving the local community the opportunity to say no right yeah and and as far as communicating the benefits they don't want to give incentives with money and their their communications are very limited with what they can say as like as as the organization but I just really think they, you need somebody to say, like, you're sitting on a gold mine, right? Like, you're, you literally struck, you, you like won the lottery. This useless rock that's sitting under you that is valuable only for its uniformity and, and depth, right, has turned into a $26 billion asset, and you would be fools to pass it up. Like, the, this, this is the, the value of, like, multiple huge gold mines the only difference is it doesn't disrupt the topsoil no one has to be miners right it doesn't in any real way like change people's lifestyles in the community apart from the fact that suddenly you're going to have more money than you know what to do with and abundant jobs and i just feel like that can't really nwmo couldn't call people fools for not wanting this even though i kind of think that they need to take on a more like proactive tone in their messaging that's my yeah. personal opinion well, and it's funny when you say that because I feel like this is a very unique sighting process. I've never seen anything like this before. It seems almost like a double-edged sword where, you know, they know nuclear is controversial for all the wrong reasons, for misinformation and all of that, but that's a totally different topic that would take me all day to talk about. But, you know, they want to make sure people know what they're saying yes or no to. Yeah. But in trying to give people the ability to do that, they're also welcoming well-known anti-nuclear activists who make yeah. their living off of opposing nuclear projects, who exactly, spread yeah. their misinformation amongst vulnerable populations. You know, there's a few people who don't know what they think about this. They reach out to these anti-nuclear organizations, they feed them all of their yeah. propaganda, then it spreads around to other people who don't know. And then those people are the ones who are asked to make a decision that's informed, but they haven't mm -hmm. been informed by science and facts. They've been informed yeah. by fear-mongering propaganda. And yeah. that's the situation that I'm in is trying to, to back it up and have people yeah. slow down. And, you know, if you made your opinion of the DGR based on what people on your front door with a petition in their hand told you, slow yeah. down, <laughs> take a look at what is actually real, right? Because the rumors I've heard that have been spread about this project is insane. You know, they're out telling people that dairy farms were shut down around Bruce Power for radiation in their milk. 
And I'm like, that is so not true. Oh, that is wow. so not true. You know, the CNSE will tell you it's not true. Bruce Power will tell you it's not true. Dairy Farmers of Ontario will tell you it's not true. But they're all in a conspiracy then. They're all conspiring. Yeah. To hide. And it's just like, yeah. it's exhausting because, you know, it's that un- it's that unprovable thing. Like, you can't prove that it didn't happen because all these people are covering it up. Yeah, right. The idea is out there now. Yeah, it's so... Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's, uh, I guess, like, what is what is this bizarre sighting process owing to? And I'm not calling it bizarre, like, uh, as a bad thing necessarily. I'm just, it's like so unique. And I kind of, it, it feels to me like it doesn't matter if it gets done, you know, right. like on a, on a deep level, most sighting, like, you know, the, the community relations person for any sort of business citing a project, their job is to win over the local community, right? Their job is to get the project going forward the job of the people at NWMO is to respect the process and prove that they're being so moral and ethical with the citing yeah. process rather than do what it takes to actually get the project off the ground. And I, I think it's because like, I don't know what the incentives are for the project. I know that, well, I heard that NWMO was founded following the 2002, what was it? Nuclear fuel waste act, yep. right? It's, it's like a, legally mandated project from the nuclear sector but it's a not nwmo is a non-profit as far as i can tell you know opg's fine having the cask sitting there i don't want to speak for them but like there there doesn't seem to be like a rush to get this stuff in the ground like that like it basically eliminates the fuel as a possible resource in the future if we figure out ways to extract more fuel from it and there's not like a real profit motive to get yeah. this cited. So as long as they can meet like regulatory requirements to have NWMO working on this project, could it be cheaper to just spend the $100, $150 million a year for the next 200 years or something rather than like have the project go forward, which will cost like $26 billion or something? I'm just trying to like figure out how it could be that there's so little urgency to get this project rolling forward. Sorry, my husband just came in with my daughter and I'm like, take her back outside for a minute. <laughs> Found a good internet spot. It stopped cutting out. You can't be in here right now. Yeah, was... <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, like there definitely does seem to be not a big rush. And I know other people have said that too, you know, that it seems to be so dragged out. We're over a decade into this process now. Like what is mm-hmm. taking so long? And there are people who are of the opinion of build it already build it let's go get the ball rolling but you know on the other hand there there is this misinformed opposition and they're not all misinformed some of them just don't want it here and that's fine but you know there's Mm -hmm. this there's this group that they're they're dealing with there's a group here there's a group in ignace there's there's and there's anti-nuclear groups everywhere we know that and no Mm -hmm. matter what the nwmo does they take it and spin it to make the nwmo look like the bad guy right yeah and it's really it's like i say funny and in a way i do actually mean hysterical (laughs) like everything that happens is turned into this super negative thing you know like the most recent example i can think of is the nwmo and our municipality donated money and manpower to habitat for humanity like great Mm -hmm. cause absolutely let's help build some houses right but you know there's opposition members on facebook criticizing habitat for humanity for accepting money from 
the NWMO and like, oh, you know where this money's coming from and why didn't you ask for volunteers from the community and all these stupid things? And I'm like, really? Like we're complaining about people building yeah. houses. The money is coming. The money is coming from the sale of zero carbon electricity. But it's <laughs> funny because, you know, like if our local hardware store donated money to Habitat for Humanity, yeah. everybody would be cheering. Right. Like, yeah, good mm-hmm. for you. Home hardware. You donated your money. But because of bigger company and granted NWMO has money at their disposable their disposal they're a federal entity they have money like they can they can do things i always think that you know they companies should do things on the scale of what they're able to give back same with you know bruce power makes incredible donations Mm. to the community because they're a huge company whereas you know joe's plumbing might donate a couple hundred bucks to the fair every year Joe's Plumbing might have two employees, right? Whereas mm-hmm. Bruce Power has 5,000 or the NWO yeah. has however many. So I, I feel like it's, it's, so, it's so normal to like give back to the community. It's just made to be bad because it's the NWMO. Yeah. It's you hard know? to see. It's hard to see people working in nuclear. I guess maybe not for people in South Bruce because so many people work at Bruce Power, but like to see them as people, I think, or or if you're afraid of, like you don't see them as your, I, I should not talk to about like on behalf of anybody in South Bruce, but my impression is it is easy to make an organization out to be like the evil empire when you feel afraid of their main mission, right? Like you don't understand that, that this stuff is, is truly safe or maybe you do, but you have other reasons why you don't want the project to go forward. An organization that wants to bury radioactive waste in your community is is very easy to vilify. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I mean I I can't imagine like the uphill battle that NWMO is is feeling on this project. Yeah, it's it's hard even from our perspective, you know, because it you know, there's there's things are out there that just aren't accurate. And yeah. Um, like, for example, someone once said that pregnant women can't live within however far of the nuclear plant because it's not safe. Man. I'm like, that is such horseshit because I carried <laughs> two pregnancies while working in the nuclear plant and I never had to not report to work. Like, like that is so wow. not true. Right. Like, that's just so not true. But then, you know, when you counter it, obviously, I didn't tell them it was horseshit when I countered it because that wouldn't <laughs> be helpful. But like. <laughs> It's and then it's like, well, you're just lying because you work in the industry. And it's like, why would I lie about that? Like, what's my motivation to lie about it? But it it is hard here. Even in South Bruce, it's really hard because nuclear workers right now are painted as these evil villains who are out to really I don't even know what it is, but you know, you work in nuclear right now and people just don't I I feel strongly like we should be the ones people are asking of our experiences and our opinions. And what do we think? Because we're the ones with the firsthand knowledge and the firsthand experience. Yeah. And And as a worker, it's not like, as a worker, it's not like you're a lobbyist or anything. Like, no, like you chose to work there. You choose to keep working there. Like you're highly qualified. Like if you didn't believe in it, you wouldn't have to be working there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's, it's, and you're just people. Yeah. I know yeah. I have that conversation too. I'm like, I have two little kids. People tell me, you know, like you work in the industry, so you don't care what happens to our water. I'm like I live here and I mm-hmm. have two small children. 
You don't think I care what happens yeah. to our community? It's absolutely. all an act. Like, absolutely it's all an I act. To be, these are rented children. They're not really mine. You had those. Just, you you had those children as props. Yeah, I rented them. Yeah, they're not really my it. kids. Anyway, it's just so <laughs> bizarre. But that's way off topic. But yeah, so like, what was your like end impression of the whole thing? Like, how did you feel about it at the end? Mm, impressed and confused not con- not confused just uh what's the word there's just so many aspects of this citing process like sociological technological political that it's so much to keep track of i find it overwhelming um, overwhelming is a good word and i'm still trying to like figure out my opinions on it like honestly a month later about i i still don't have like a firm opinion <laughs> yeah. my, my my on like how good the citing process is etc i do believe that the technology is very safe i do believe that the consent the the citing process is on paper great i think if it means that the community misses out on an opportunity that would really really benefit them then in the long run it was harmful I can't get over feeling like the NWMO doesn't actually care if it ever gets built. I can't get over the feeling that if the concern truly is safety and the belief is that this form of storage is safer than the alternative, then why in the name of safety would you allow this project to be halted by a misinformed public? And, And in the end, NWMO knows it's right. Right. And there's like how many companies have known they were doing something nefarious and still plowed through on on siting. Right. So I just feel like of all times to be really considerate. Why now on such a low risk project? Yeah, it's I don't know. It gets so complicated. And I think one of the big issues is, you know, that that conversation around what are the benefits hasn't really been clear, you know, and. Yeah, I get it that they they don't they're in this weird place where you know if they tell us this is what this is how much money the community will get this is whatever you know they have this group who's going to jump all over it as oh it's bribery they're buying us yeah. off and and I yeah yeah right it's all I fun. feel very strongly though and you know I say this all the time is that we need to stop walking on eggshells to avoid yeah. upsetting those who are opposed because they're yeah. always going to be opposed hey, I really feel that you What's know, their they're price? All, you're never going to change. What's their the mind. price of their silence? Yeah, <laughs> you but, could change yeah. their mind. How's but five like, million dollars? But like, know. but in all seriousness, they're never going to not yeah. be opposed. The NWMO could yeah. go and offer each one of them ten million dollars, and they'd probably yeah. still say no, out of principle, yeah. or they'd take the money the and walk- continue yeah. making opposition because that's what they would do. The but- walking on eggshells thing is real. It is, and, and it's the, like the timidness. Really, yeah. the timidness makes it feel like NWMO is hiding something. Yeah. Right. Like, are 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 you sure you want this? Like, yeah. are you absolutely sure? Like, of course. Like, I would question that. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's obvious downsides to taking a more aggressive stance. Like, like, listen. Like, this is going to benefit your community. You're never going to be hurt. I mean, they say that type of stuff, right? But the tone is very. Well, the thing is, they won't like, actually we're say. We're not forcing you to make up your mind. They won't actually say that you'll never be hurt because, yeah. you know, science. They can never guarantee anything yeah. in science. <laughs> right. 
it's right yeah right so that like the levels at the zero 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 one percent chance they won't they won't guarantee it even though it's like 99.99999 percent safe it is really incredible how these levels of like risk analysis and safety when you taught when you use words like indestructible or or entirely safe it's so technologically safe that you truly are flirting with like the edges of what language can communicate by any other in any other circumstances the risk that the dgr poses as far as radiation goes would be considered completely non-existent yeah you know like if that if the same safe sort of risk were in like pedestrian crossings driving uh like foodborne illnesses like heart disease <laughs> whatever all of our problems would be solved like there would be such lower incidences of all these things that are affecting us on a daily basis yeah. um and you know activities that we consider to be completely harmless like yeah. uh, name anything right well, it's, the one it's that going comes to, to mind right now for me is higher like, risk well i shouldn't maybe whatever polio is one for me right like we for a really long time would make statements that polio is non-existent in Canada and the United States. Polio is eradicated. We no longer mm -hmm. have cases of polio. There's cases of polio now, yeah. right? And it's like, wait a second, I thought it was gone. And it yeah. was, if people were following the safety measures, right? You yeah. got your kids vaccinated yeah, when they were too. little, blah, blah, blah. If you did yeah. what you were told to do and what we were supposed to do, we would maintain polio-free <laughs> society, right? But yeah. now- yeah, unfortunately and tragically and i say tragically not because there's been deaths from polio but it actually is tragic because polio is mm -hmm. awful my cousin had polio and it's not a nice disease oh, wow. and like to think that it's completely preventable had we done what experts told us to do it's mm -hmm. completely preventable and i feel like that's the same when we're talking about nuclear waste you know is yeah that's true we need to follow what people are telling us and people who are experts are telling us not self-declared experts, not people who watch some YouTube videos, like people who studied and worked and lived in nuclear mm -hmm. can tell us. Whose one this job is, is to make it safer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like, I mean, going back to my point about this being so complex, I haven't really made up my mind about stuff. I might like, you know, five minutes from now when we end the call or I, I'm not ending this interview in five minutes. Sorry. I don't know. Why I said that. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> Five minutes. I'm on a timer it, now. No, but after this call, I might disagree with everything I just said about like communicating the utter safety because I also don't want to continue on the trend of the nuclear industry over promising on safety, which can then bite yes. it in the butt later when small things do happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know. People it's say so that to me now too because everything, not everything, but there are certain things that are reportable, right, to the CNSC when they happen. Yeah. You know, one that I've seen hold up which boggles my mind and we only see it in Canada is you know there'll be a leak of heavy water heavy water leak mm. and oh, yeah. people will get all upset about this heavy water and I'm like it never left the station it literally was a couple yeah. of liters of water on the floor it posed zero risk to anyone except for maybe the 10 yeah. workers responding to it like yeah. it's not an environmental catastrophe they could slip and hurt themselves. yeah like it's not a big <laughs> right. like it's it's, I don't want to say it's not a big deal because it's super important that we not have those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a big deal 
to Bruce power. Yeah. Like it's, right. it's so hard to communicate those things without yeah. scaring people unnecessarily. And I wish the level of literacy about nuclear was so high that when people hear there was a small spill of heavy water, they raise their hands in the air and shout for joy at heavy water because it's so dang cool from an engineering perspective yeah. in this reactor. Go can do. <laughs> oh, yeah, it just hits so like, just there's around. definitely like, like you said, risk assessment is a huge thing that is a whole other topic, which I should really get someone on sometime to talk about risk assessment because I think we could all use a refresher there or some information there. Yeah, the communications is huge. And it's, like I said, I just wish people would stop walking on eggshells to please, to please a group of people whose opinion we are never going to influence, you know, like they're pretty set on their opinion. And I think just the fact that they would look, especially very outspoken people against the DGR would, they would assume they look silly or look negative mm-hmm. if they change their opinion. So they're never gonna, they're gonna stick to what they're in right now. You know, whereas I have said, you know, if they show me that this rock is not safe or appropriate, or if I see something that makes me think this will not be safe, I will have a huge yellow sign mm-hmm. on my front lawn too. Yeah. I will put up a huge no nuke dump sign so quick because, you know, I love this town and I love my kids and I love my friends and family yeah. here. And like, I kind of love the earth Yeah, pretty good to us. Like I, I don't <laughs> want anything bad to happen. And if I knew there was yeah. a high enough chance of that happening, that it was a real possibility, I wouldn't be willing to hear out this yeah. plan either. You know, like I'm not a, I'm not a dumb person, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good at critical yeah. thinking. I have two university yeah. degrees. I'm not dumb. Like I, I know what's and going you're, and on. And you're you know? also, and you're also not held to a certain corporate line like you are not the industry yeah yeah and like nwmo like isn't really even the industry (laughs) like like it's it's funded with a percentage of the sales from opg but like the people working there are like you know talking to the people doing the siting process like they are talking to them much more loyal to the process of this this consent-based siting than they are to what project than the project right like their loyalties are quite literal like they're literally sociologists who like want this to be done right yeah and they there's not a profit motive for them to like get it in the ground really as far as i can tell because they're getting their salaries their job is to make it safe and to cite it responsibly and they're not going to go for it on the project if either of those things are not checked off yeah And, and it's like yeah I mean, I'm just thankful I'm not like in your position where you have to like every day, like deal with these stigmas from like anti-nuclear activists and drive through, like drive to work, seeing signs of people that are basically like denigrating you and your profession, which truly is helping the planet as a, as a very low environmental impact, zero emissions source of electricity. which is at the root of all this like that's what nuclear offers and that's where it gets complicated right because then we get into this conversation of more nuclear or you know future uses of nuclear can we reuse the fuel which you know for me puts a lot of i put a lot of weight of my opinion in 
is the fuel retrievable and for how long, you know, cause mm-hmm. to never be able to get it out. Obviously you'll, you'd always be able to, if you really wanted to, but just yeah. the cost would be higher for me. If they were to say this could never come out again. I, nah, I don't know about that then. Um, well, like it is retrievable is up until it's decommissioned and it doesn't get decommissioned until the community and the CNSC agree to decommission it. So theoretically, it could stay and, yeah. in the operations phase or the post-monitoring phase forever. As long as you can get down the, I guess, the Yeah, so they, do, the... they don't seal up the access shaft or the access tunnels until after the extended monitoring. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like 100 I mean, years of operations. Yeah. As far as like technically retrievable, though they are like very well sealed by yeah. all the barriers that are in place, including the bentonite clay. Yeah. 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 It gets, but then at the same time, right. If they were going to make it easily retrievable, it kind of brings up the, what's the point of putting (laughs) it under there. Right. Like, I I don't know. It gets to be a little bit complicated, but. Yeah. I mean, you can make Um, it, I don't know, whatever the solution is to make it easily retrievable by people that work there. (laughs) I know I I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, but not, but not like, easily accessible by like natural disasters or anything yeah right it's so so i'm glad i'm also not an engineer working on that project (laughs) i know it's it's very complex there's a lot of uh that's why i think it's funny when people say like that they're rushing the decision the nwmo is rushing us and pushing us into this i'm like seriously (laughs) this is like the most ridiculous thing or they'll say like this new two decades in the process yeah this new concept like it's been researched for decades i'm like this isn't a new concept or like they haven't been able to come up with anything better because there is nothing better this is the best solution like this is you know in terms of wanting to dispose of spent fuel and canada does not currently do reprocessing so in terms of that Mm -hmm. yes this is the best solution but that's a whole other conversation too that takes forever (laughs) but anyway yeah this is uh this has been really good i'm well over my half hour (laughs) oh yeah it was great to catch up with you about this i enjoy i love meeting you for the first time yeah it was fun that little pizzeria yeah (laughs) it was really good it's our local hometown pizza it's it's the place to go if you need pizza yeah i could tell (laughs) because we had sat down and ordered pizza and then people who had who worked at nwmo who had just given us the tour independently came in afterwards they're like oh hi yeah yeah it's our it's our local joint but anyway this has been really fun Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on, Sheila. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen, South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. (laughs) 